And here just to give it as a slide that explains it more, the liver performs gluconeogenesis and beta-oxidation simultaneously. If you have a patient that has trouble with beta-oxidation for whatever reason, this patient can be severely hypoglycemic. So where do these fatty acids come from? They are taken up from the blood. And you have here the fat cell. The fat cell has many functions that we know now, but it also has the function of tag uh, storage and tag degradation. So tag triacylglycerols is a storage form of fatty acids, and that is stimulated during fasting or in flight and fight situations. This store normally is guarded by an enzyme that is called hormone-sensitive lipase. And that tells you that enzyme will not do anything unless it is told by hormones to do that. And the hormones that lead to the degradation of tags is uh, epinephrine, low insulin, glucagon ratio, and cortisol. So when we have these fatty acids and we look at this graph from the bottom here, beta-oxidation fatty acids absolutely needed as it generates NADH and acetyl-CoA, but now as allosteric regulations. And also when we degrade it, we generate energy. So we have ATP for that, but we need the allosteric regulations. And once you go back to or look ahead to the TCA cycle, TCA cycle is inhibited by NADH at the level of isocitrate dehydrogenase. It's the first enzyme that responds very strongly to accumulation of NADH. And at the same time, NADH level activate a kinase, an enzyme that will phosphorylate pyruvate dehydrogenase. And acetyl-CoA also activates PDH kinase and this enzyme will phosphorylate and inhibit PDH complex. So you see, you come here from the left side with your pyruvate into mitochondria, and now pyruvate carboxylase has its substrate. It is not diluted to the PDH complex that is inhibited, and you have acetyl-CoA from beta-oxidation that activates pyruvate carboxylase, and you make oxaloacetate for gluconeogenesis. I have this here all in written form. You can digest that slower by your own. And here is a um, very visualized in the post-absorptive phase. What is the phase named after you eat? Postprandial. Prandi means meal after a meal. Now you have absorbed, and now the post-absorptive phase, the early phase of fasting, you have glycogen degradation that will make free glucose, and you release the glucose into the blood, and you have gluconeogenesis that will do the same thing in ending and releasing glucose into the blood. And here I have given you the molecules you should know that are the substrate from the blood, alanin, glutamine, lactate, and glycerol. Um, you know lactate used in the Cori cycle, alanin used in the alanin glucose cycle. 
And here are the fatty acids. They have to be there. They are now in the blood as free fatty acids, and they are taken up and give, are used for beta oxidation, and they are needed for energy, ATP, and allosteric regulation at the level of NADH and acetyl-CoA. Now, in starvation, in starvation, you have no glycogen stores, and they are empty. And here, as this lecture deals with gluconeogenesis, I have written down again the important enzymes that you have to know for this pathway. And you see that you have the same thing going on, but in starvation, it's only gluconeogenesis that releases the glucose, as the glycogen stores are empty. And the fatty acids are used for bitter oxidation and allosteric regulation. And after about two to three days of fasting on starvation, then ketone bodies show up in the, uh, in the blood. And ketone body synthesis is a pathway that is only done in the liver and only during fasting. And the ketone bodies are released. Are you with me so far? Get out of there. All right. So just give me two minutes to get the other lecture up. Now we come, there's a lot of overlap in these two lectures, and I like it, so one time it's said in one way, it maybe it's better understandable in the other way. And this lecture now deals totally with the regulation of glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. Again, just to make that clear, does the muscle do gluconeogenesis? No. Muscle doesn't do gluconeogenesis. So that is the pathway, and that has to be tightly regulated. We focus on the liver. But we want to talk about glycolysis, as glycolysis is the pathway that happens in nearly all the cells. But before we go there, we look at the regulation of glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. And I made you this little chart here. I think that helps. You have your glycolysis, the three irre irreversible steps. Most cells have hexokinase. Glucokinase is found in the liver and in the beta cells of pancreas. Then phosphofructokinase, that is phosphofructokinase 1, and pyruvate kinase. That's other important enzyme for the glycolysis for this purpose. And now you have gluconeogenesis, pyruvate carboxylase, pepcarboxykinase, fructose-1,6-bisphosphatase, and glucose-6-phosphatase. So here I think very visual. The reversible steps here, I didn't go into that, as they are used by both glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. All right. 
Now let's go away from that and just look at glycolysis. And in most cells, glycolysis uh, starts with hexokinase. So you take the blood glucose in and you have to trap it in the cell and so that it doesn't go out. And the glucose transporters are, in most cases, following the concentration gradient. So if you want to have the glucose for your personal pathways, you have to trap it. And the way to trap it is glucose, make glucose 6-phosphate. Yeah, so now glucose 6, no glucose transporter uh, likes glucose 6-phosphate. Yeah, so now it's trapped. And you use it for metabolism. And once you have glucose 6-phosphate in here, in many cells, you just put it into glycolysis. But some cells have a glycogen store. So you could put it into glycogen store and that's what you would do in the muscle. So in the muscle, glycogen store glycolysis. Pentose phosphate pathway not nearly no existing in the muscle. But if you have um, um, the liver, for example, the liver can go into glycogen storage, into glu uh, glycolysis, and the liver has, can have a very active pentose phosphate pathway. So you see, once you have the hexokinase, it's a regulated step, especially when you have GLUT4 transporter in the muscle. The GLUT4 transporter are insulin dependent, and only then the muscle can pick up a lot of glucose. So hexokinase then gets the glucose, and it's a regulated step. When the glucose 6-phosphate is not used, then it accumulates, and that is why hexokinase is then product inhibited. And that is important, as if the cell doesn't need glucose, and glucose 6-phosphate accumulates, the cell should not have an active hexokinase, as then it would just phosphorylate more, and that cannot go out. And all the other cells want the glucose very, very it's very important for all the cells. So you see, it makes a lot of sense to have product inhibition by hexokinase once the glucose 6-phosphate is not used in the cell. Glycolysis in the muscle is special. As we said, glyc muscle has glycogen, glycogen store. And I said, this glycogen is not used to release glucose into the blood. So you don't have glucose 6-phosphatase. You make yourself eventually from glycogen degradation a glucose 6-phosphate. And that is neat. That is very neat. It goes only into glycolysis and you don't have to put the first ATP in to phosphorylate glucose. So when you look at it, Glycolysis starts with glucose, and hexokinase needs an ATP to make glucose 6-phosphate. Once you have glycogen degradation, and we talk about it soon in the lecture, then you make glucose 1-phosphate, glucose 6-phosphate. You are not putting any ATP in. That means your overall gain is higher when you go to glycogen degradation. Are you with me so far? 
When we regulate glycolysis in skeletal muscle, we said the first regulated enzyme is hexokinase, but then from there I could go in the muscle to glycogen degradation. I have not committed myself to glycolysis. But when I make the phosphofructokinase 1 reaction, then I commit myself to glycolysis. So we have the first regulated enzyme is hexokinase in the muscle. Committed step is phosphofructokinase. Now, when do you want to do the reaction of glycolysis? What is so special? Why do other cells like RBCs also eager to make glycolysis? Substrate level phosphorylation. Yeah, so that is you can make ATP in the cytosol by substrate level phosphorylation. And that is the majority purpose of glycolysis, but not in muscle or in liver. Yeah, so then as normally you want the ATP and RBC, then when you have high levels of ATP, PFK1 is inhibited. Does that make sense? Now here, if you have the liver, and you, the purpose is to do a lot of glycolysis after a meal, or in the skeletal muscle, you want to do glycolysis for, organ, uh, for, for ATP formation, you have to go and make pyruvate to put it into the TCA cycle, for example. So here we want not an inhibition by ATP. And that has to be overcome. And in the muscle and in the liver, it is overcome by fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. So if you look at that, in all cells, phosphofructokinase is inhibited by ATP. So if you want to do glycolysis in the muscle, you have to overcome that inhibition, as the muscle wants ATP, but it wants more ATP. You want to do glycolysis even if you have a little bit lower ATP than normal due to muscle contraction. So you want in muscle a glycogen degradation, fuel it in into glycolysis. And pyruvate kinase, the last irreversible step, is always ready to go. In the muscle, you don't need a feed-forward activation. Maybe that comes clearer at the end of the lecture again when we look at it in, in a graph. If we compare now hexokinase and glucokinase, hexokinase has a high affinity for glucose, as you see, and glucokinase has a low affinity and it's an allosteric enzyme, so it has K0.5. It does not really have a KM. But a lot of people call it KM, although it's not Michaelis-Menten in kinetics. So I have two enzymes there that do the same thing. They use free glucose and make glucose 6-phosphate. I have hexokinase, which is eager to any glucose molecule that it use, uh, sees to phosphorylate and trap in the cell. And then we have glucokinase that has a low affinity. And here you have the blood glucose levels. At that time, it still it's, it does not have found its Vmax. 
so it can handle tons of glucose. Does that make sense? Where would we find glucokinase? When I want to trap glucose in the cell, independent whether glucose 6-phosphate is needed or not. And that is the function of the liver. The liver sits here, gets the glucose from the portal vein, and the function is trap as much as you can. So the liver has glued two transporters who let it all in. And on the other side sits glucokinase, and it phosphorylates everything and is not product inhibited. It doesn't want, the, the function is I only want to bring the blood glucose down. And whatever happens with that, then the glucokinase thinks that the other enzymes do their job. I phosphorylate as much as possible, as that is the purpose of glucokinase in the liver. Glucokinase is mainly found in hepatocytes and beta cells. And in the uh, liver, it has the purpose to reduce high blood glucose levels. You see here, when come. And in the beta cells is recognize high blood glucose level. And what do you do then in beta cells of pancreas? Then you release insulin. And insulin tells the liver, hey, you didn't do a good job. Do a better job. Yeah, bring the blood glucose levels down. Now, how is insulin release regulated? It's, uh, it's starting out here just as a general concept. Beta cells, they take up the glucose. Also, they have also GLUT2. And glucokinase sits there and forms glucose 6-phosphate. And it is not glucose 6-phosphate product inhibited. So the glucokinase does its job and makes tons of glucose 6-phosphate, which then go into uh, glycolysis and TCA cycle and make ATP. Now, if I have a lot of glucose available, then I make a lot of ATP. And here we have an ATP-sensitive potassium channel. This channel sensitize, uh, reads how much ATP we have. And if we have just generated a lot of ATP in the cell, then it shuts itself down. It closes, and then that leads eventually to calcium influx and to release of insulin. Yeah? Vesicles with insulin and pro uh, C-peptide is then released. So at high blood glucose levels, the beta cells of pancreas want to measure it. And if it is high, then they want to release insulin. So we have GLUT2 and glucokinase. And from there on, we generate ATP. And if we have high ATP, then the potassium channel closes. Calcium with a voltage-gated uh, calcium channel goes in and we release insulin. Yeah, are you with me so far? Okay. Now we have a genetic deficiency of glucokinase, and if it is in the pancreas, it leads to an impaired, uh, ins it inf uh, impaired insulin release. So this is found in MODI 2, Maturity Onset Diabetes of the Young Type 2. There's a lot of research there and uh, a lot of new data are there. 
and it is characterized by impaired insulin secretion from cells. And these individuals have chronic mild hyperglycemia and they are not overweight. Now, what happens in MODI2 patients is due to the genetic deficiency of glucokinase, it, is, it needs higher glucose concentration to reach the ATP level that closes the potassium channel and leads to release of insulin. So in a normal patient, if you have uh, blood glucose levels of 5 millimolar uh, of uh, glucose, then you shut, uh, you release insulin. That's too high for that. In these patients, you can have up to 7 to 8 millimolar. So 5 millimolar is the normal fasting level. And they have only respond if you have much higher glucose than you have. And that's why they mild hyperglycemic. Now, hepatic glucokinase, how is this enzyme now regulated? You say, we go now to, away from the beta cells to the hepatocyte again. How is this enzyme regulated? It's not product inhibited. And when I saw this um, picture here, I thought first, they must be kidding. It is totally unusual that we transport an enzyme into the nucleus. And that is what happened. And we have a hepatic glucokinase regulatory protein that transports glucokinase in the uh, nucleus when we have high fructose 6-phosphate levels. And if we need it, when we have high free glucose levels, it transports it back. So it's, it's a very unusual regulation. And the glucokinase itself as enzyme is induced by insulin. So you see in the liver it's important that you regulate glucokinase. In the liver very likely you do not have hexokinase. As when the liver has the function to release glucose in the blood, into the blood, you don't want an enzyme sitting there that phosphorylates it after you have just generated it by glucose 6-phosphatase. All right, these regulations are difficult, and I know that you think, oh my God, another enzyme is regulated. But believe me, once you reread this lecture, it falls all into its steps. Now, how is PFK1 regulated? I said PFK1 has the committed step of glycolysis, and it is allosterically inhibited at normal ATP levels in all cells, at normal physiological ATP levels. As the purpose of glycolysis, and PFK1 is the committed step for glycolysis, the purpose was to make ATP in most cells. So as a result of that, that enzyme is in all cells inhibited by ATP. And here just to bring this in, also prepare you for glycolysis pathway, I want to remind you that the glycolysis has the energy-rich molecules 1,3-bisphosphoglycerate and PEP. That's another way to deal with the glycolysis pathway that you have learned. Uh, Dr. Upadhyay taught it. 
you snip it apart and said, okay, these, which are the energy-rich molecules as one of the purpose is ATP formation. And then you have them ready already for an exam. And then you should know the enzyme that catalyzes these steps. Now, how is it then possible to perform glycolysis in hepatocytes? I really have to admit I never thought about it before until I was dealing more with the material as I thought, yeah, we make glycolysis, makes a lot of sense, we trap the glucose in the liver, and then if you look at the regulations, it's not going to happen if you do not overcome the ATP inhibition. So in the liver, again, you have always in a healthy liver enough ATP at normal level, and it would not be possible to do glycolysis until you overcome that inhibition. And the liver can overcome that inhibition and has the bifunctional enzyme. And the bifunctional enzyme overcomes this inhibition and activates uh, PFK1. Now the bifunctional enzyme here again to make that clear has two enzyme activities. This arm is PFK2 activity that forms fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. And this en arm here is bisphosphatase 2 activity that would degrade this molecule. It's all on the same protein, on one gene, and you have to fold the protein. So the liver has on my feet here a phosphorylation site. When would the bifunctional enzyme be phosphorylated? When glucagon is ruling or when insulin is ruling? Glucagon acts over the cyclic AMP messenger system and protein kinase A would phosphorylate my feet. And now I make a conformational shift. And one of these two enzyme activities should go. If glucagon is ruling and phosphorylates me, does the liver want to do glycolysis or gluconeogenesis? Gluconeogenesis. So the PFK2 activity goes into the pocket and this is open. And when insulin is now ruling, it will activate eventually also over phosphorylations, but eventually it will activate protein phosphatases. They will take the phosphate from my feet, and this goes in and this comes out. That's the bifunctional enzyme. So the allosteric inhibition of by ATP and by citrates, we leave citrate a little bit away. That only can happen when citrate is in the cytosol, as uh, PFK1 is glycolysis enzyme, so it's in the cytosol. Citrate is mostly in the TCA cycle, but under conditions of fatty acid de novo synthesis, it can show up there. So then we would inhibit uh, phosphofructokinase 1, but you see the inhibition is overcome by AMP and fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. So again, AMP, we were looking at the liver, right? AMP is normally not, ATP is ruling. So in the liver, 
the, the uh, inhibition has to be overcome by a different molecule, by fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. But in the case that the liver is in bad energy situation, it will activate glycolysis and it will inhibit gluconeogenesis. Fructose 2,6-bisphosphate is formed by the bifunctional enzyme. We find that in skeletal muscle, heart, and liver. So here in the liver, it's important that the bifunctional enzyme had a phosphorylation site. And here to say it clear enough, only the liver has to switch from full-speed glycolysis to full-speed gluconeogenesis. Only the liver has to do that. Now, we have in this pathway, glycolysis feed-forward activation, and the last enzyme here is pyruvate kinase. So we came here, we had glucose, we made glucose 6-phosphate, and then we have fructose 6-phosphate, phosphofructokinase, phosphofructo, a phosphorylated fructose, kinase is again phosphorylated, and we have fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. And that is the committed step. And once we make the molecule fructose 1,6-bisphosphate, the majority stays in the pathway to give us pyruvate of glycolysis. But some molecules sneak out and allosterically feed forward activate pyruvate kinase. Does that make sense? Yes. As you see, once I'm committed to glycolysis, the last enzyme, pyruvate kinase, should know about it. And it makes a confirmation, a change, and is feed-forward activated. Pyruvate kinase is also an enzyme that is inhibited by ATP. So ATP inhibits the uh, glycolysis at the level of phosphofructokinase 1, and pyruvate kinase. And that makes sense. If the purpose is to make ATP, once we have enough ATP, these enzymes should rest. But the inhibition of PFK1 is overcome by fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, by the bifunctional enzyme. And the inhibition of pyruvate kinase is overcome by the pathway metabolite fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. So you see, you have to watch out 2,6 and 1,6. Now, pyruvate kinase is also special, and only in the liver it can be phosphorylated. So the cyclic AMP messenger system, triggered by glucagon, Right, it says, okay, do gluconeogenesis. This protein kinase A goes directly to pyruvate kinase and phosphorylates it and inhibits it. And that is only in the liver. As, no, as only the liver has to switch, especially in flight and fight situation, especially at low blood glucose levels, to gluconeogenesis. The other cells don't have that problem. The other cells stay with their glycolysis. And all the other cells, especially in flight and fight situation, they want to do a better glycolysis as they uh, anticipate ATP uh, shortage. 
So when we phosphorylate this, then it can switch, and I have saved PEP for gluconeogenesis. Here is a clicker question, please, that I want you to do. Feel free to talk to each other, say why something is wrong. All right, let's see how you did. All right, can be phosphorylated. Yes, that's right. Now let's see, it catalyzes a reversible reaction. Pyruvate kinase was one of the group that I said irreversible reaction. And there are no other conditions, always irreversible reaction, although it has kind of a faulty name, right? I, did you realize that? It's a totally incorrect name, pyruvate kinase. As, so don't get confused now. If you don't want to listen, if you're tired, don't listen now, okay? Pyruvate kinase would implicate that it is a kinase that phosphorylates something, and what does it phosphorylate pyruvate? But it never, ever, ever, ever does that. It does the other direction. So sometimes you have the names in the reverse reaction, but if it is a reversible reaction, it's co co okay. But here it is not. But here, just don't start in exams thinking about it. Just think of pyruvate kinase is the last step of glycolysis, irreversible reaction. Okay? Uses PEP, substrate level phosphorylation, forms pyruvate. It is not activated by ATP. Pyruvate kinase is inhibited by ATP. As the purpose of glycolysis is to make ATP and ATP inhibit the committed step, phosphofructokinase 1, and also pyruvate kinase. It is not found in mitochondria. It's a cytosolic enzyme, and cytosolic enzymes are all in the cytosol. It forms PEP during fasting. It cannot do it. You remember when you start out with pyruvate, you needed pyruvate carboxylase and PEP carboxykinase. And that is why it's so neat that it can be phosphorylated and inhibited so that you save the PEP, but it never forms PEP. 
and it can be phosphorylated, yeah, in the liver. It's the, whenever you have in questions hepatic or in muscle, be aware of it. There are, especially also when it comes to glycogen metabolism, dramatic differences. So watch out, but make sure you know in which cell type you are. All right, very good. Let's continue. Now we have the regulation of gluconeogenesis at the irreversible steps. We had here pyruvate carboxylase, PEP carboxykinase, fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase and glucose 6-phosphatase. See, not only is it neat that you know by now the irreversible steps and have memorized them, you know these are the regulated steps too. And now you only have to fill in how you do it. So how is gluconeogenesis regulated? First of all is by the availability of energy and that is provided by the degradation of fatty acids. We said it's costly, you have to put ATP in, GTP in, but normally that is no problem as the liver under normal conditions in a healthy individual does fatty acid degradation. And both has to be taken, uh, take place during fasting. And again, beta-oxidation provides energy Acetyl-CoA for allosteric regulation. What was the enzyme name that needs acetyl-CoA as absolute activator? Pyruvate carboxylase, yeah? And those things, you always anticipate those questions and if you take them apart of the pathways. And NADH is also a regulator. NADH inhibits the TCA cycle and both acetyl-CoA and NADH activate pyruvate dehydrogenase kinase that phosphorylates and knocks that enzyme out. All right, so gluconeogenesis is also regulated not only by energy metabolism but by the availability of substrate. And here you have to know very well what you do with lactate, amino acids, alanine, glutamine, and glycerol. And then from lactate and alanine, you make pyruvate. And it's carboxylated to oxaloacetate. And you need biotin as cofactor. That's important to know. And absolute activation by acetyl-CoA. Glutamine, you deaminate it to glutamate. And then transaminate it to alpha-ketoglutarate that joins the TCA cycle. And glycerol is phosphorylated and forms dihydroxyacetone phosphate and joins into gluconeogenesis. These lectures are difficult as they all will come together once you bring them all together with a TCA cycle lecture and the PDH and, and it fills then your understanding and always think about it, put the pathways into the body and into the liver when is happening what. And gluconeogenesis here is I'm a visual person. I made you a little cartoon. From the blood comes glycerol, and you can make glycerol 3-phosphate, dihydroxyacetone phosphate, and up here it goes into gluconeogenesis. Lactate comes in from the exercising muscle or from RBCs. We need NAD plus for lactate dehydrogenase, and we make pyruvate. Alanine comes in. It's 
with L amino acid, uh, alanine amino transferase, we make pyruvate. Pyruvate is now sitting here. It cannot go to the PDH complex that is inhibited. It sits here and waits to be carboxylated to oxaloacetate. And then we make malate, malate goes out, and we make oxaloacetate back, and we have phosphonopyruvate formed by pepcarboxy kinase. Glutamine comes in here, goes into the cell, is deaminated, we make glutamate, and you make an additional molecule of the TCA cycle. These carbons you can use. Yeah, so look at that, you can work with that, put the enzyme names in, and uh, I think for me it's always much easier than just describe it in words. Now, how is it regulated again? Irreversible steps, pyruvate carboxylase, PEP carboxykinase, fructose 1,6-bisphosphate, and glucose 6-phosphatase. So these regulations you have to get it clear in your mind and then uh, have them ready. That's what I meant with clip the pathway apart, anticipate questions so that you can deal with that. And there is a reciprocal allosteric regulation of gluconeogenesis and glycolysis that is performed by AMP and by fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. And you know AMP allosterically inhibited fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase, the key regulated enzyme of gluconeogenesis, and it activates PFK1, the enzyme that catalyzes the committed step for glycolysis. And all this is possible with a bifunctional enzyme. So insulin would lead to the dephosphorylated bifunctional enzyme. So we have the PFK2 activity is active, bisphosphatase 2 activity is inactive, and the bifunctional enzyme now forms fructose 2,6-bisphosphate and activates glycolysis. In the liver, it is so special with a bifunctional enzyme that I have a phosphorylation site here. And once I do that, following glucagon action, then the PFK2 activity is inhibited and the bisphosphatase 2 activity is active. So it will degrade fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, and with that, you will activate gluconeogenesis. Is another clicker question for you?
All right, cast your vote. All right. Okay, research group properties of the bifunctional enzyme characteristic for hepatocytes. It does not have two activities that follow each other. Bifunctional enzyme is so unusual that one function synthesizes fructose 2,6-bisphosphate and the bisphosphatase activity cleaves it. It has two genes, one for each activity. No, it has one gene and one big protein comes out and now we have to fold it that only one activity is uh, working. It forms and degrades fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. I put this in on purpose so that you really be careful, 1,6 or 2,6. It forms and degrades fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. It has always an active PFK2 activity. No, it, in the hepatocytes, it is regulated by what? By phosphorylation. And it is phosphorylated at low blood glucose levels. And then it switches. So these questions I made more difficult today as I want you to realize that it is a difficult concept and you have really to focus when you talk about the bifunctional enzyme and look at the question. And it's always, it's not you, it's always difficult for, to get that. Once you have understood it, then it's okay. All right. Now we have for the regulation of the pathway also enzyme induction and repression by insulin and glucagon. And insulin, well, it wants glycolysis. It induces glucokinase, PFK1, and pyruvate kinase. And glucagon does the opposite, as glucagon doesn't want to favor glycolic, glycolysis enzymes, but favor gluconeogenesis enzymes. So enzyme induction by glucagon is different. It induces pepcarboxykinase, fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase, and glucose 6-phosphatase. It does not induce pyruvate carboxylase, as that enzyme is also used for the refill of the TCA cycle. That's not only the agenda of uh, glucagon. And here, pepcarboxykinase, pep I see it's as a typo. Can you change that? Pepcarboxykinase is also activated by cortisol. I apologize for the typo. I read that so many times, but the human brain is made to correct it in your mind, and then it's hard to find. All right, now if you have a summary, hormones acting to regulation by phosphorylation and dephosphorylation, insulin leads to the dephosphorylated bifunctional enzyme, Glucagon leads to the phosphorylated bifunctional enzyme, and glucagon leads to the phosphorylation and inhibition of hepatic pyruvate kinase. That is an important part. Only the hepatocyte has to switch, and only the hepatocyte wants to stop glycolysis and fasting. All the other cells want to do glycolysis. And here is, I'm not going through this table, I want you to read it by yourself. 
And I want to encourage you to do those tables by yourself. There's a lot of information in this lecture, and if you can put all the allosteric effectors together, then that helps you with the understanding. But here I want shortly look at this graph. If you work better with graphs, make yourself a graph, and you have here the allosteric regulation. And we said double re uh, uh, reciprocal re uh, regulation with AMP and fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. One activates glycolysis, inhibits gluconeogenesis, and ATP always inhibits glycolysis. I want you to work through with these uh, parts, and if you ever have questions, you always can ask me. Here's another one. She said, oh my God, does, can she not stop? She can stop, yes. And I want to stop, right? But I want you to see this, and I want to see what I did for you. This is actually what you could do on your own and get clear-cut what, what really is this about. And if you prepare for an exam, you can read your tables that you do. And last but not least, all of this is just a summary and uh, how everything is regulated. All right? Thank you very much. <laughs>